All right, for the recording this morning, it is uh, October 13th, and uh, we're ready to get started. Good morning, everybody. I, any of you that were on the call yesterday and watched um, Jared interviewing three of his people, if you noticed in the corner was a baseball bat. And that baseball bat wasn't just junk sitting in the room. It wasn't his son's. It was there for a reason. And, and you know, Dick, I did ask people uh, what they thought oh, the yeah. reason was. And I got to tell you, Marcia Seacrest, in her usual humorous way, did come up with a good reason. And it's called, that call was out of the ballpark. <laughs> but, <laughs> nice but that, try, Marcia. Might, nice try. Well, for those of you uh, that have been around with Barry very long, we were texting this morning with Jared. And both of us agree, uh, as Connie and Jared and I were all in on the tax line, Barry will probably never re- receive the recognition he deserves in founding and building mortgage protection into the industry it is today. Uh, there are a few agents around the country, there, there were, going to courthouses, getting the names of people with new mortgages and new babies, just as someone to talk to to sell insurance. Uh, they didn't do it because they liked it. They did it because that was the only source of people they had. They'd, they had joined the NFL club, no friends left, and there was nowhere else to turn. But they weren't quitters. Uh, well, Barry took that concept of that practice and built it into a hundred-plus million-dollar-year industry. And his visionary mindset, coupled with his intolerance of negative thinking, is what made him successful. Now, Barry, for many of you that may not know, was on a full-ride baseball scholarship at Liberty when he stepped away from it in January of his senior year in college to take over an insurance office. I'm sure a lot of people that were close to the family had a fit, but it was the best thing he ever did. Well, Barry had a baseball bat in his office to deal with negativity. As soon as we uh, had learned that that's what he had done, Connie and I were I used to go to the Cincinnati Reds all the time, and we had a Cincinnati Reds World Champion uh, Series baseball bat, and it was signed by all the ballplayers at the time, including Joe Morgan, who passed away yesterday, and we hung it on our wall. And if you'll visit any of the offices of any of the old-timers with Barry, you'll find a baseball bat sitting around the office somewhere, and that's the significance of it. And we had to laugh as soon as uh, the Zoom went on and you could see Jared. Uh, it just it brought such a smile to our face to realize that, you know, the influence that Barry Clarkson has had on that young man for the last, oh, 12 to 15 years um, has really made Jared the person he is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there are a lot of Jareds out there that Barry's had an impact on their life, uh, many of whom aren't even with our company, but over the years he's had an impact on their life. Well, today I wanted to talk about how to capitalize on the fourth quarter. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago of, you know, upselling existing clients going back. Would you like a little bit more? Um, should we add an accidental plan to this? you know, with these teens out here texting and everything. Literally, guys, teens texting are more of a threat on the highway today than drunk drivers used to be on Friday night. So those are some things we need to be remindful of and remind our clients. And look how many people have got one policy that would cover a portion of the death benefit to pay off a mortgage or even the whole mortgage. But if they use that death benefit for living benefits, 
now the mortgage is unprotected. So just about everybody we talk to that we help get a plan in place, they need a second or a third plan with living benefits, especially if they have a history on either side of the family of cancer, stroke, or heart attacks. So these are just little ways, just thoughts of increasing. But I wanted to, to zero in, you know, how do we how do we capitalize, capitalize on the fourth quarter? We'll look to other people who are being successful and figure out what they're doing to make a difference. And I thought of Andrew Pappas. Um, most of you have heard of Andrew. He was a guy that was a garbage truck driver making 41000 a year, and he moved over to becoming a meter reader. So when it was 20 below zero, yeah, he had to be out walking in the cold, but he didn't have to be hanging on the back end of a, of a garbage truck all, uh, off and on all day. You know, when the windshield is 30 to 40 below, it's not pleasant to be out there, especially on the back of a, a garbage truck. Well, for those of you that don't know, all Andrew wanted to do was to make an extra $1,000 a week to buy a second car for his wife so she wasn't cooped up all day with the children while he was working. Got his license part-time, working 15 hours a week. First month, he made $1,000. And the first thought in his mind was, yeah, I made $1,000. But was I, is that a fluke? Well, was I just lucky? Second month, he made 1600 They bought a new car, or not a used car. Next month, 2600 In August, I think he made thirty-five dollars or $3,600. But he was making almost as much money on his part-time job as he did on his 40-hour-a-week full-time job. Then in November, he wrote $14,885, I think it was. At that point, he had been promoted to an 80% contract. So he made a little over $11,000 in one month, and he earned you know, one-fourth of a year's income from his regular job in one month part-time doing this. Um, that's when he quit his meter reading job. Now, we were with Andrew in South Carolina at the meeting in August, and he was telling us he's on track. His third year in the business, he's on track during somewhere between 230 and 250 this year. Uh, what's Andrew doing different? Guys, you cannot work him. That's just that's all there is to it. You cannot work the guy. But last night, I was working with a referral that I've been working with for several months, and it's difficult and touchy leaning on a referral, you know, because you don't want them to pressure them and then go back and tell the client that you gave them their name and they're complaining about you pressuring them. So it's a tightrope to walk. Well, we get down to the end, and his final excuse was this, quote, we bought some property and we're going to need every bit of available cash to complete this transaction. Well, guys, if $100 for the next two months is going to – jeopardize that transaction, they shouldn't be buying that property. Now, after the conversation, you know, and I say that because, you know, that was an excuse. So after the conversation, I'm always reflecting on what happened to get the sale and what didn't happen to allow them not to buy. That's why we encourage you guys to call us whether you made a sale or you didn't, to try to walk through and figure out why they didn't buy, because that's important. That's how we learn. Well, I questioned myself, you know, what do we do? Um, as, a, as an industry, as, a, as an agency, what do we do? Well, we provide peace of mind. 
And personally, I can't imagine buying a piece of property, a house, or a farm and not having life insurance on the primary breadwinner. You know, because for pennies on the dollar, we can make sure our or their intentions and plans and dreams are completed. By having this policy, their dreams are fulfilled, and we can do it for pennies on the dollar. See, our job is to create a series of questions and answers that lead our clients to that same conclusion. Not that we're trying to sell. Are we selling? Yes. But the main thing of it is we're supplying a need that they have that the family, excuse me, would be in serious trouble without. See, a question with this new property, my thought is, is with this new property, does it make sense that if the unexpected happened, that you provide a means for your family to either pay off that mortgage or at least give them three to five years worth of payments so they can capitalize on the profits that you've intended to make on this home or this property or whatever it might be. That's what we do. Now, it's sometimes difficult to articulate that in such a way. That's why we practice it. Now, you know, we run into other excuses as well. And notice I did not use the word objections. Because, guys, when people don't buy, it's not an objection. It's an excuse, and that's what it is. It's merely an excuse. For example, well, we're not interested. That's just an excuse. Why wouldn't you be interested in putting a dollar or two dollars a day that would protect your family from financial ruin? I mean, if you really under analyze what they're saying, now you can't say this to the client, but that's a stupid, that's a stupid statement. It really is. Why is that? Because they don't understand. So it's not their fault, it's ours. Um, I can't afford this. Well, if they have a mortgage, and we know when they first took the mortgage out, they have 1% to 2% of the face amount of that loan as discretionary income. How do you know that? Because the bank wouldn't have given them the loan to get the mortgage if they'd have been that tight on money. So what's happened is someone else has gotten in there and soaked up that money for something else. Now, whatever they've bought, and I don't care what it is, a new TV, a deck on the back of the house that wasn't included in the original mortgage, security, ADT, I don't care what it is, nothing will provide the peace of mind that mortgage protection does. Nothing, okay? Well, I don't need this anymore. You know, whatever, if they don't have long-term care insurance to go with that mortgage payment and they're older, they are at risk, because without long-term care insurance, if they have a major illness, one of my clients fell on the ladder and spent three months in a nursing home because she broke both ankles. And it nearly ruined them financially. So they need that sort of thing. So a question would be, well, John, when somebody says, we're not interested, I can't afford this, I don't need this, well, John, do you have any idea why I'm calling you? And usually they're going to say, yeah, to sell me some insurance. I'm calling you because for pennies on the dollar, we can make sure your family either has a place to live or to make sure they have the equity to get uh, the home sold in the event the unexpected happens. That's what we do. And we do that providing them with time to sell the house at a fair price for both them and the new buyer. That's the only reason I'm calling. Now, I know most of you on the call are rolling your eyes. What the heck how in the world am I ever going to get that out? You're probably not. You know, let's be realistically, 
realistic here. They're not going to give you the time to say that, but some will. But many times, you know, I didn't say that statement today as something that you'll probably be able to use every time or even very often. I said it more for the agents on the call today because we need to realize the position of importance we pay play in other people's lives. Okay, you know, um, back to the overcoming or to uh, uh, dismantling the excuses. A question I might use would be, well, I don't know if you qualify for such a program. I just need a little more information to see if I can help. You know, do you have just a moment? Now, why do I throw the, do you have just a moment in there? I don't waste words, guys. I really don't. When I'm talking on the phone, I try to get, so that seems like a, waste of words. No, that separates you from a salesperson because a salesperson will never ask that question. Don't ask, do you have a minute? Do you have a couple of minutes? Do you have a few minutes? Because they know that you are a salesperson, but you now have jumped back into the lot of being a typical salesperson because they know a few minutes is a lot longer than a few minutes. Okay, But do you have just a moment? Now, if you learn to ask that question the right way, instead of saying, do you have just a moment? Do you have just a moment? See, for them to say, no, they don't have just a moment would be rude. And most people really don't want to be rude. So learn these, these techniques. You know, what we do is we protect folks against the unexpected. Now, sometimes you're going to get pushback. You know, uh, practice some of these that I'm giving you here today. See, until a few short years ago, we only protected the family. You know, uh, with our plans in the past, if, if John died, she got a check. We were protecting the family. If John was fortunate enough to live, we had a program where we gave the money back. But see, with these new plans, now we can protect both the family and the breadwinner. Because, see, a lot of times a breadwinner, unfortunately, they're selfish people, men and women. They're just selfish. I had one last night. She's just selfish. I've been working with her for two years, and she will not let him get enough life insurance on her to bury her. She's just selfish. We can't change that. But what we're trying to do here is uh, we now can protect the people. And if I'd have sat down in front of her last night, if I could have done that, he, she could not she wouldn't agree to let me come to the house, not because of COVID, because she knew she was going to end up with some insurance. But if I could have sat down with her last night and said, you know, Mary, this isn't about you. This isn't about your husband, Clifford. This is about making sure you don't lose your home due to foreclosure. If your husband should get killed in a car wreck and you're in this home alone and you can't work for six months or a year, how would you make your mortgage payment? this plan would keep you in your home. Now, if I could have articulated that to her in person, I feel like, and keep in mind, when I started working with these guys, we didn't have living benefits. It's been that long, okay? So if three to five years from now you have cancer and can't work for six months to a year battling your cancer, a question, how are you going to make your mortgage payment? See, guys, that's important because that's how we bring this home to the point that it's real in their life. We've got to expose the pain and then have a solution for them. Had an agent here recently, client, and I don't remember who the agent was, guys, so I intensely try not to do that. Um, 
think I made the comment I have disability income. In essence, I don't need living benefits. Well, if you understand what, and this is an education for everybody on the call today, see, uh, a question you ask is to drive this point home is, well, John, let me ask you something. Are you having just a little trouble at the end of the month having enough money to make it through to the next pay period? And most people, whether it's true or not, they're going to say yes to that because they want you to think they can't afford it. Well, yeah, that is the case. Well, let me explain to you how disability works. By law, you're only allowed to buy 66% of your income in disability income benefits, and you have to pay tax on that. So right now, if you're making 1000 a week, when the disability kicks in, you're going to make 500 So if you're having trouble now making the payments on 100% of your income, how in the world would you make the payment on 50% of your income? And see, these are things that if you understand, it helps you better educate your clients so that they understand the risk that they have. You know, um, for what we do, being able to protect people for pennies on the dollar, we can allow them to have a favorable outcome on these impending healthcare disasters. And guys, everybody on the phone, everybody we talk to, we are one heartbeat away from an impending health care disaster. Um, I have a men's group that I attend on Friday, and one of the guys on there, his son, was involved in a terrible, terrible car wreck two weeks ago. And uh, he's still in an induced coma. You know, we just don't know, you know. And then follow that up with, you know, for pennies on the dollar, we can provide a favorable outcome to this impending health care disaster. Would that be something that's important to you? See, what you ask is very important there, and the way you ask it is equally important. Would, would that be important to you now? Guys, you can do this both on the phone when you're trying to set the appointment if necessary, but also, you know, when you're in the home trying to close the sale or close it on the phone. See, for the cost of a latte or a big gulp, both you and your family can be protected from financial ruin. And John... That's why I'm calling. You know, see, these are all ways that I'm trying to actually impart to you the role, the potential role you have the opportunity to play in everybody's family. See, understanding this, I hope, does it change your attitude toward your job today? Rather than calling, expect them to be pushed back and say no and everything. But understanding the role that you have, does it change how you approach and think about that client? And now, another question I might ask is, well, Dick, how else can we change your attitudes to be more effective? Well, one of the questions I'd ask every one of you on the phone today is, what are you reading? Let me re say that again. What are you reading? And if the answer is nothing, then and you're having uh, struggles, there's half the problem right there. Let me explain to you what happened to me a number of years ago. I exchanged an asset today that would be worth sixty to eighty thousand dollars for six months of payments because of my perceived circumstances. Jimmy Carter was president. Gas was rationed. You couldn't buy gas on Sunday, um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You could, if you're, depending on what 
last name was in the alphabet, you could buy gas on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday the other days, and nobody could buy gas on Sunday. Uh, mortgage rates at that time were 11 to 14%, and uh, I was basing my future on these circumstances. I exchanged a 1962 Corvette, an asset today worth $60,000 to $80,000, for six months worth of living expenses. Let me tell you the rest of the story. Um, the first motivational book, and I think it was only the second book I ever read after getting out of college, changed everything for me. During this period, uh, gas shortage, you know, expecting a terrible year. I was selling campsites in southern Indiana. Now, why in the world would somebody drive, you know, um, 60 to 80 miles? Uh, why? to look at campsites and waste their gas. Um, interest rates at that time were 16 to 22% if you could even get a loan. And I'm thinking, why are people going to come down here and look at lots? I had a fixed mindset, and it wasn't good. Uh, the developer I was working for at the time had a growth mindset. Failure was not an option. And his solution to this problem was, I'll never forget it, it was just like water off a duck's back to him. Here I'm petrified, just, justifiably so, all of us were. And he goes, well, we'll fix that. He said, we're going to give everybody a free tank of gas just for making the trip down there. That solution was fixed. you know. And I'm, I remember thinking, well, what about the interest rate? And he goes, well, what we're going to do is we're going to raise a lot price from two to $2,000 to $2,500. That's going to add about 25 to 30% to the lot price. And then we're going to give them a 12% interest rate. So when we take this paper to the bank to sell it, we've got the interest already built into the price. I'm still getting out of it what I needed. Voila, we've got that fixed. And uh, I remember thinking, now how am I going to take this and put it in a palatable situation so the client buys? And this is what I did. By now, my mindset is changing, just like I hope your mindset changes today. So I took that reality, that situation. I said, John and Mary, you know, the nice thing about getting a lot down here is you can make the trip one time in your gas-guzzling truck, bring the camper down, set it on your lot, and make all your subsequent trips in your economy car. Problem solved. You can continue camping all summer long, and you can do it for about $3 a day. And, and you've got a place that will be paid for. You can come for the rest of your life. Now, I knew this would work for me to make a living. I figured we'd be just getting by. You know, We had a solution. It wasn't going to be great, but it was going to keep us going. Then Dale Carnegie came into my life, How to Win Friends and Influence People, first motivational book I ever read. By May of that year, I had my mindset had changed. That provided me with the best income year I've ever had. I made as much money from March through May as I projected to make for the entire year and then pr proceeded to have the best year income-wise I'd ever had. What changed? My attitude. And see, this business is no different. Understanding the impact you can have on families' lives is why we should be doing what we're doing. See, the exceptional income potential here is just a byproduct of us doing the right uh, amount of activity. 
to succeed. See, when people fail at almost anything, it's almost always due to lack of activity. Rarely is it due to lack of, uh, lack of talent or lack of ability. It boils back down to the activity. Well, why do we keep harping on activity? Because it is the secret sauce or the silver bullet that leads to success in any business or uh, endeavor. You know, Larry Bird, famous basketball star back in the 70s and 80s, uh, he would stay, Michael Jordan did the same thing. They would stay an hour after practice and shoot foul shots and three-point shots. That activity is what got them into the Hall of Fame. Guys, without that activity, both of them would have been great basketball players, but neither one of them would probably be in the Hall of Fame today. We hired a 19-year-old a number of years ago. He was the worst I've ever heard on the phone. He was terrible. He would make $750 a week to set three or four appointments. I mean, he was worse than terrible. He was awful. And he should have quit. They should have fired him. They should have run him off with a stick, but he just wouldn't go away. Roll the hands of time eight months later, he was consistently on his own pen writing fifteen dollars to $18,000 a month in premium. He had been promoted by then from a 60 to an 85% contract. And uh, so he was making 85% of $18,000 in premium every month. And he had started a team, and the team was doing uh, $45,000 a month. He was making 15% on top of that override of $45,000. Now, remember, eight months ago, they should have fired him. He should have quit. He just wouldn't quit. Now, from that time forward, he's consistently earned $250,000 plus a year in this industry because he just wouldn't quit. Now, why? Because what he lacked in skill, he made up in activity. Hear that again. What he lacked in skill, he made up in activity. That's the key to the success. That's the secret sauce or the silver bullet all of you should be looking for.